Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Generations podcast. My name is Matthew Fox. I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined today by Aaron McGowan, another one of my co-hosts here on Star Wars Generations. And today we are talking about The Bad Batch Season 3, Episodes 1 through 3. We did another recording of this a few days ago, but we had some audio problems, and we decided we really wanted to give you a top-notch episode, so we're coming back to you today. And, well, many of you are going to listen to this on a podcast, and so we'll probably never notice this, not only are we recording video that's going to go up on uh, various channels in the next few days, we are live streaming this. So if you are finding it on live stream, that's awesome. We didn't really let anyone know. We kind of want to let this just kind of test out to see who gets notified and who wants to jump in. But if you do see it, if you do want to jump in, please let us know and uh, please ask questions as we go because we'd love to have you participate. So with that, let's just kind of kick off the conversation. Aaron. The Bad Batch, talk to us about season one and season two, like what this show had meant to you and how you're feeling going into this these first episodes. That is a big question. Um, mm-hmm. But The Bad Batch, to me, season one was the revival of Clone Wars. Like as yeah. much as Rebels is kind of a rival of Clone Wars, it's not. Like I see Clone Wars and Rebels as very different shows, but The Bad Batch felt like the Clone Wars. And it's probably because of the similar animation style. Like, I'm sure they did that very intentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of, the animation is just stunning. All three yeah. seasons so far. But um, season one, it kind of just tells a story of this squad of extra special clones after Order 66 and how their inhibitor chips didn't work. So season one, they end up escaping the Empire and kind of being on the run for a little bit. They also escape with this young girl clone named omega um anyway so season one was just a really great like introductory got us um introduced to all the characters gave us some deep dives on a few of them like hunter and omega um we had a lot of fun like chase scenes battles and the, it kind of overall was just about like family and like the building yeah. of the bond that is their squad um so then season two we get a look into crosshair in the empire because so far season one he was just trying to hunt down the rest of the batch um now we're seeing what it's like to be in the empire and so we have some really great episodes really great characters from that we get to see commander cody again we get to see hauser again and we get to Mm -hmm. see um captain mayday commander mayday i think commander yeah on the title um but yeah we got some really great clones and to see how the empire is affecting them. We got the arc with Rio Chuchi about like clones that are defecting from the empire and what's kind of happening to them. And of course we just got some lovely stuff with the batch and then it ended with a gut punch that was text death. Yeah. Yeah. So, and here we are at uh, the beginning of season three. I think you're very right. And I love the way you phrased it, especially in terms of like how this and rebels line up to that, uh, Line how this and Rebels line up to the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Because I think part of what I love about the show so much is it kind of takes on the best aspects of both. I think you're right that it, it is more of a sequel to the Clone Wars than Rebels ever was. The animation style, the focus on the, the clone characters much more, the use of the Force is almost completely non-existent, although... Mm-hmm. The force as a plot aspect is becoming a major thing. But in the Clone Wars, as much as, you know, it is about the people fighting the Clone Wars and often the clones are the the shock troops and the foot soldiers. 
but there's a lot of Jedi and a lot of lightsabers and a lot of force using. Mm-hmm. So in many ways, this feels very similar. Um, but also like rebels is all about found family. Rebels is all about a small yeah. group of people trying to make a difference. Whereas the clone wars, basically it's about a whole galaxy spanning war and every story we're jumping around to different characters all throughout the galaxy. And so I kind of feel like this is taking a lot of the best parts of what made Rebels so good and now saying, let's do that, but in a much more clone-focused story. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I would agree, because it's like, like you're saying, the Clone Wars was just everywhere. It's different people, different family groups, different friend groups, different species, everything. And then Rebels was very centered on the one found family. And then I feel like Bad Batch is exploring the idea of found family within like almost like a biological family. Yeah. Because it's like they are all obviously brothers and they treat each other as such. But after Order 66, things kind of change. And so it's like and they have that conflict through all of these seasons about, well, I don't want to kill regs like I don't want to kill clones working for the Empire. Like those are still our brothers, even though they're not they don't agree with us and they're trying to kill us. Like, it's just this interesting, like, divergence. Yeah. Because it's the brotherhood we were introduced to in the Clone Wars. And just, like, the Bad Batch is tearing it apart and, like, diving into clones, which is Mm -hmm. everything I've ever wanted. I love clones. All I want to talk about is clones. Yeah. Yeah. And we're getting their stories told in such interesting ways, especially because if the, the Clone Wars, I mean, it's much more militaristic than anything else Star Wars has put out because it's it is about the military and the soldiers in it and all the sort of interesting and, and difficult questions and challenges that they face. This now is about what happens when we're trying to decommission soldiers, when soldiers are being pushed out, and when in this case, you know, you signed up to work for one government. Well, in the clones, they never signed up. They were just basically slave soldiers, but they were loyal to a particular kind of government. And now that's gone. And now, you know, it's all about the Empire instead of the Republic. None of them want to support that. And and well, and one of them has had changing loyalties, and that's what we're exploring now. Yeah. So with all that in mind, what'd you think of these first three episodes? Uh it was like well, it was a lot of mixed emotions. So I've been incredibly busy and overstressed lately. So being able to sit down and watch a new episode of The Bad Batch was just like Ah, like a breath of fresh air. It was so exciting. Um, And then we actually get into the episodes and the first episode confined, no fresh air to breathe. Yeah. Kind of depressing. It's just showing where Omega and Crosshair are at in Tantis, which is the laboratory research station. Um, Yeah. And Crosshair is like a prisoner. She's, you know, like a quote, quote, lab assistant. She's also a prisoner, but they're just having her do things um, because Mm -hmm. Nala say wants her there. Um, and so it was a very, the episode was set up really interesting. Like we had the start of the day happen like four, maybe five times where it's the same start to every day. Mm -hmm. And we see a little bit of Omega's day and it's the same thing. And she goes to bed and it starts the exact same way every single day. And that type of storytelling is just so interesting because it like, it accentuates the gravity of time passing. Right. It's not just like, oh, we're going to tell you it's been a long time, which they do also tell you in later episodes of the premiere. But like, they're not going to say, oh, Omega, you've been here for this many days. But like just seeing how 
into the routine and like almost submissive she was in the first day that we see her and then seeing that day after day after day. And we just know it's like, by the time we first see her, she's been here for a while. By the time we get towards where she starts to crack, she's been here a long time. And so, yeah, I really, really liked the way that episode was set up and it gave us, you know, a check-in on Emery and Nalase and Dr. Hemlock. And it gave us, the little bit of character building with Batcher, which is the um, mm-hmm. hound. Yeah, so cute that she named it Batcher. She just like needs a little something of her brothers to hold on to, and it's not like yeah. We see also she makes like a little doll out of hay or whatever here, but she doesn't name the doll that because, as we see later in the episode, Emery and the Clone Commandos are just going to take it away. Like she's not allowed yeah. to have personal items. But the idea that. This is a Lurka hound. It's my job to feed them. Nobody hears me say this name. Nobody knows like the mm-hmm. name of the dog other than me because nobody cares to name the dogs. And it's like a private and special and relatively constant thing that she can turn to. And I just yeah. thought that was really sweet. Yeah. I mean, I think going back to what you said about that kind of montage at the start, one of the things I think is so powerful about it is it shows how much this is designed to drive the fight out of you because it's so monotonous. It's so mundane. I mean, think about the worst kind of like, you know, punch in, punch out, do the exact same thing to make a widget or to serve someone or whatever that you do at a job. And this is that, you know, times a thousand. And it really says, I think a lot about her character that even in that situation, two different parts of her character keep coming through. One is her just general, like love and compassion and, curiosity about the world around her and the creatures around her and Mm -hmm. that's batcher and that's some of the others and the other is and this is kind of like the love but also just goes so much more about family that she continues to have that love for all of her brothers because Mm -hmm. in the prison with her is crosshair crosshair is the member of the original bad batch group who for various reasons that uh have been discussed at length i'm sure we'll get into more as, as these episodes go on did follow order 66 at a time that the rest of this particular squad for like, because their chips were malfunctioning, but also because of who they were, they didn't. And so he believed they should have been following orders that, um, there's a chance the bad batch had to kill a Padawan Jedi. Uh, and they didn't, but he thinks they should have. And that he thinks Mm -hmm. that when the higher ups said, bring in Omega, that they should have done that. And crosshairs directly tried to kidnap Omega and basically bring her in to, to, uh, jail and prison and and being a, a a lab rat and she has even now she has so much compassion for him and she goes to mm-hmm. him and wants to help cheer him up and wants to make his day better and wants to help him escape and he at least is past that point of wanting to like work for the empire but he's just fundamentally broken he he keeps saying to her like you should don't waste your time on a hopeless lost causes like me and I have a quote here from that moment. Please go for it. Yeah, it was so it was so good. So Crosshair said, "Don't risk anything for me. I belong in here." And Omega said, "None of us belong in here." Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is just a portrayal of the exact thing you were saying. Yeah, no, it, it that says it so perfectly. And and by the end, she has given him some hope, and together they're trying to escape. And mm-hmm. I imagine that the reunion with the rest of the bad batch is going to be very tense at times and that 
you know, I can't predict it exactly, but I would guess that she's probably the one who has some of the best reasons to be fearful of this guy and to not trust him. But she's going to be kind of the peacemaker and she's going to be the one mm -hmm. saying like, hey, remember, you're all brothers. Because she's Omega and she's exactly yeah. what they all need. It is. It is. Uh, we did learn something else about her in these episodes, uh, something that we've wondered for a long time. Erin, you want to explain what we learned? Oh, I was thinking of something completely different, I think. Are you oh, okay. talking about uh, the M count? Yeah, we learned that um, she has a high M count, which presumably is midichlorians. They seem afraid to say that name as though just saying M count will somehow fool us. Um, but the, I, I think it is now canonical that she is force sensitive. It doesn't yes. mean she's a Jedi. It doesn't mean she has like real strong force powers. Though I think yeah. we've seen the very basic latent force powers in her character mm -hmm. already. But it has now been confirmed. That's why she can do the crazy things she can do. She is force sensitive. And that yeah. that's obviously something that matters. Yeah, definitely. Um, real quick, when you asked if there was something we've been wondering about that I wanted to share, I thought you meant the ponytail because I've been wondering if she has a ponytail and she does. And it's so cute. She Back to the M count. Um, yep. They did fool me for like 10, 15 minutes with the M count thing because I just wasn't paying mm -hmm. attention to it. I was kind of ignoring it. And then I was That's like, wait fair. a minute. They're talking about midichlorians right now? Um, yeah. But yeah, like you said, I think it means nothing about her being a Jedi. It doesn't mean that she's going to start using force powers or wielding a lightsaber, but it does explain how she can pick things up so quickly, basically. Um, okay. And how do you think she came about? Like, so Nalase created her. Is that we agree on that? Right. Right. Why do you think so Nalase did that? Let me back up a bit and talk about this whole idea of M count. And okay. first I want to say that Alex uh, Corman, who's uh, our third third host, we had to switch things around to re-record. He couldn't be here. He was really excited about this M count stuff. And I'm very sad he's not here. Because I think he makes a very good case for why, from some perspectives, this is really great storytelling and a story he really wants to know more about. Mm -hmm. He's been on record in some of our other stuff getting ready for generations uh sorry getting ready for the bad batch how interested he is in how it was that all the cloning thing happened to eventually create you know possibly snoke and definitely palpatine uh by rise of skywalker and i am so glad that he is excited for that and i'm i'm really looking forward to hearing him talk about that more yeah definitely we actually we had a really great conversation um mm -hmm. are you okay just getting into sidious right now a little bit yeah, sure. Okay. Because we well, did get I, to I, see... You go. Good. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, um, he's excited to see the midichlorian count stuff because he loves Darth Sidious, thinks he was the perfect yep. villain for all three trilogies. I'm not sure I 100% agree with that, but I love Alex for who he is. <laughs> yeah. But he was just saying how he's always pondered and wondered on that and thought about Palpatine so deeply as a character especially mm -hmm. because he read Darth Plagueis. Right. Plagueis. Plagueis. Um, and he just had this fascination about who Sidious was and like his personality traits and like what drove him really. Mm. And so like, this is really satisfying that itch in Alex's brain and probably a lot of people's brain. And now that yeah. Alex put it in perspective for me, I am also kind of wondering about it. Like, 
Yeah. yeah why did Sidious pursue making clones? And Alex, um, Alex's idea was that he is so afraid of death. Yeah. And I think one idea that came up as part of that conversation is that it makes sense in part because, and this granted we get a lot from that book, Darth Plagueis, but also from some other sources, both in the original uh, extended and now the Disney canon, is that up till now, for the last thousand years since Darth Bane, every Sith has wanted to live as much as they could, but has also felt like they were part of the grand plan. And that, you know, Bane didn't think it would happen in his lifetime. Most of them didn't think it would happen in their lifetimes. That everybody was always like, I'm going to move the ball as far down the field as I can in my time, and then someone else will keep going. By the time we get to Sidious, it's over. They He has finalized the plan. They've taken over. The Sith have won. And... It, it kind of feels like he wants to therefore just put a stop on history at that point. And so, yeah, him wanting to live forever, I think, is phenomenal. Yeah, because like... <clears throat> Go ahead. I was just going to say, because like in his mind, his master plan, the little puppeteers he's been puppeting for the entire first two trilogies, like... Or sorry, the entire prequel trilogy until he forms the Empire. Like it's all come to fruition. Mm. And now he just... He viewed that as the perfect world, the perfect empire that would have like peace and happiness in the galaxy. And he's like, this is perfect and it needs to be maintained. Therefore, I need to live forever because there's no way this infrastructure could work without me. And it's just exactly. like a very interesting mindset. Exactly. And I promise all this is eventually getting back to your question of why was Omega yeah, okay. created the way she was. What I was going to say about it is... I think those questions of why does Sidious want to do this and how do others feel about the cloning process is great. And I'm excited to see that explored. I really want to know, for example, does Darth Vader know about this project? Because mm -hmm. on the one hand, I think it'd be very hard to keep it secret from him. On the other, I think Sidious has very good reason to want to keep it secret from him, in part because this might be about cloning Anakin's replacement one day. Um, if yeah. he thinks he needs to do that, or he's concerned that Anakin might want to clone Palpatine's replacement. You know, I mean, there's just so much, all the, the Sith backstabbing loyalty fights that have always been a part of their history. That's a really complicated issue. The issue of why does Palpatine want to do this? And how do the other commanders feel about that? All of that is really fat. The, the, how the, let me put it this way, the why and the generalized mm -hmm. how of the cloning process is fascinating to me. What I think Alex has made clear he's really excited about, and a lot of fans have too, and I think there's nothing wrong with it, but it's definitely not what I care about, is the scientific how. The like, you know, what, how did all this happen? And, and it's part of why I'd, I really don't like all the M count stuff and midichlorian stuff, because for me, and again, this may also be, you know, the different ways we experience Star Wars. Yeah. The Force has always been, first and foremost, a mythical, a mythological, spiritual kind of a thing. Not spiritual, but kind of like a modern day religion, but just like that there is something, a truth that you understand, but could never like roll dice about or like put into exact terms, you know, that I have mm -hmm. 54 force points and this other person has 51 force points. Like I've played all the Star Wars video games and, and role playing games, but I always think to some extent that's a little off because that's just not how I understood the force worked. So for me, the more that we make the force a scientific thing that can be cloned and that is all about, um, you know, M counts and these other things, mm -hmm. that's not the story I care about. Yeah. 
So, and again, I am not saying therefore it makes it a bad story or a story they shouldn't have made. And I think that's a good example, I hope, for it's okay to recognize that some parts of Star Wars aren't as much for you as they are for others. But all that being said, and here's here's my answer to your original question. Because of that, I really don't want Omega to have been intentionally created. That intentionally somehow mm. they did something. What I would love much more is that probably everyone went into this cloning process thinking, well, yeah, we you, you know, the force is something that is part of the natural order that the clones are kind of a break against. And so, yeah, they're not going to be force sensitive. And then suddenly along came this clone who, through whatever kind of adjustments they made to her, becomes force sensitive. And then the idea that like the force just kind of acted on its own, because as Yoda would always say, you know, the force is unpredictable. You cannot expect exactly what the force is going to do. That's something that Yoda talked about. Qui-Gon Jinn talked about. The Sith have always talked about. And so the idea that these scientists are struggling to replicate what the what the force did on its own in Omega, I love. The idea that it was a successful science experiment and now they're trying to do more, they want to study it so they can do more examples, that it, it could be a great story. And I'm still going to keep watch because I love everything else in the Bad Batch, but that I'm really hoping it's not that. Yeah. I feel like I have a couple different ways of viewing and thinking about this question. Cause like, mm -hmm. um, so a big part of my influence and understanding of Kamen Owens comes from the Republic Commando book series. And uh -huh. in that series, the lead scientist, um, her name is Kosai. She basically was the one behind most of the cloning things. And then when the um, empire comes, you know, order 66, the empire is there a lot of the characters in the books defect and go elsewhere. And then they go and they kidnap Kosai so that mm -hmm. she can find a way to reverse or slow their aging, like their accelerated mm. aging. Like they kidnap her and say, you fix this for us or we're going to kill you. Right. Which like, I mean, sounds like maybe harsh, but like when you're in the book series, it's like those dark moral questions come up. So it's like a very interesting part of it. But um, to me, like Kosai, they portrayed her as this crazy scientist, like a mad scientist mm. who just fucked with genes for fun and did random shit and just like had pleasure in creating experiments, even if they went bad and she had to like kill them. Like she didn't really care. She was just curious as to what would yeah. happen. And so with that idea of Kaminoan scientists in my mind, I'm thinking about Nala Say and I'm like, yeah, she's clearly like one of the top scientists. She was maybe a little mad with power or just like seeing what she could do. And maybe she did yeah. accidentally create Omega. Like, I don't see it as she was like, I'm going to clone a force sensitive person. Here you go. I see it as she was like, I'm going to make a girl clone and see what else I can do. And then yeah. she comes out with an M count. And Nalise doesn't even realize it at first, maybe. Mm. Or maybe she does. Um, but that's the way I kind of see it. Because I almost... I kind of like the idea that, like, Nalise intentionally created her, like, to be mm -hmm. her. Um, so then the idea that, like, something else in the changing of the genome ended up with 
some force sensitivity just because that's how the force works. It just shows up randomly. Um, yeah. That's how I kind of headcanon it. That fits in. See that. It makes the science still respect the um, anonymity of the force almost. Yeah. And that's why like that. they're not able to make clones so easily. Yeah. That's why they can't figure it out without her because it wasn't done on purpose. Yeah. That's no, I can totally see that being fun. And I think a lot of it will come down to a question that has never really been answered that I think a lot of people are very curious about for reasons both related and not as related to the story, which is mm -hmm. how was a girl clone created? Because mm -hmm. a lot of it comes down to what you understand cloning to be and how exact two different genomes have to be in order to both be a clone. Because mm -hmm. As a lot of folks, especially in the circles I hang out in, uh, have, have talked about, I think there's one theory that if truly every clone is just about biologically the exact same as the other, the only real difference would be maybe that some of them have their aging sped up or some don't, or some of them have the inhibitor chip, some don't, then Omega was probably assigned male, and mm -hmm. which would make Omega trans. And I, I think that would be a phenomenal interpretation of her character if she is if she is uh a girl because that's what the character felt like they were and identifies as and realized that mm -hmm. they were but the the theories pushing that are kind of based on applying our own world's understanding to genetics and cloning to this entirely fantastical space world yeah so and i will say if we had no other examples of trans clones anywhere in this world, I would want to push for that even further. But in the um, Queen's Shadow books that I'm always talking about, a, a character is introduced called Sister, who is a clone who was part of the rags, brought up as male, and came to realize that she was a woman and transitioned. So having that character means that I'm not as invested in the Omega must have been... Excuse me. That like Omega genetic. must have the exact same genetics. Um, I think it's the double Y chromosome. Um, forgive my science teacher who will probably be mad at me if she ever hears this. Though it would be amazing if you were listening to it. You know, uh, I, so I, I think it's that like a, a, a chromosome has to be added to make a creature male in our universe. But again, who the hell knows in this? So maybe they just didn't do that in Omega's case. Maybe she did. It, she does have two Y chromosomes. Or who the heck knows? Maybe X chromosomes. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's XY. But... Uh, well, I, I, aren't most... No, I was just think for males it's XY, not double Y. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think it, it, yeah. women are are double Y, men are XY, and then some men are XXY, and that can cause issues and stuff. I I don't know. Uh, I might oh, be totally wrong here. The point of all this being, though, I I am I think especially if we're going to get into questions of how was Omega created, I think the question of was her gender changed intentionally. Or basically, is her gender genetically changed? Mm -hmm. Very, very careful here because, like, in the main universe, and probably even for most Star Wars writers, genetic markers equals gender. In our own world, I think more and more people come to understand that's not true. But I'm going to go with that that understanding of it. Mm -hmm. That if they intentionally wanted to make a female clone, versus if they made a clone that then the character decided that they were female yeah that then was female exactly i don't think that matters unless we're suddenly caring about the exact way that uh omega was created 
but if, as you say, it, 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 some changes were made and maybe it was accidental that she became force sensitive, then yeah, then I, I think that'd be an interesting thing to explore. Yeah. It's so interesting how headcanons interact, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, you can have so many different ideas and then seeing if they fit together. And then you sit there and you're like, wait, but also none of this is confirmed. This is just what I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's amazing how, I, I hope I've gotten better at this. I think Paul yelling at me in the many years of our podcast certainly helped. But I, there have been times where I watch something and then I interpret it a certain way. And then if I haven't seen it in a while, I will probably remember it closer to the way I interpreted it than the way it actually is. And I think people do this all the time. That's mm -hmm. why fact-checking is so important and going back to the original is so important. Absolutely. But I also just want to say, to the last thing on that, headcanons are real and headcanons are great. You know, and like I love what, what Mark Hamill said where he said, that he doesn't have a specific opinion on Luke Skywalker's sexuality, but if it's important for someone that Luke, Luke Skywalker be gay, then Luke is gay. And in the same way, mm, I think yeah. no matter what they tell us, if it is important to you that Omega is trans, which I think is completely valid, then mm. keep that no matter whatever the hell we get told in the next 10 episodes or whatever it is. Yeah. 13 episodes. I love that. And I love the like affirmation and support from an actor to be like, yeah, like these are characters that are not me. These are characters created for you guys. Let them be what mm -hmm. you need. Yeah. So that's super yeah. cool. I didn't know that. Let, let, let's talk about our boys. Our boys go on an adventure. Uh, Hunter and yes. Becker, like oh. the, the, the brains and the brawn. Uh, the sad the himbo dads. And the, the himbo and the sad dad. Yeah. Two boys with very cute butts and not a lot of brain cells between them. What do we think rough. about it? <laughs> very rough. Um, okay, so one thing. I didn't notice this, but I'm going to mention it at the top before I forget. I saw a post about this. Um, when we first see Hunter and Wrecker on the ship, you know. Oh, well, we're introduced by that to them because they're returning the severed horn to that one crime lord guy to get information yep. about where Hemlock's lab might be. So they're on the ship. And Hunter's like looking through the info or whatever. And in the foreground, mm. unfocused, you see text goggles that are shattered. Mm. Which, yeah, that was as Alex punch. horribly pointed out in our group chat, means that they recovered his body. Which hurts. It feels good yeah. because they needed that. And I appreciate that it kind of puts to bed the idea that, oh, maybe Tech's not dead. Like, as we've talked about well, before... Did they recover his body? I mean, I come from the comic book world where anything could be possible. What if, like, I mean, he fell into this deep pit? What if they only found his goggles and are like, maybe they fell off? And he's like, they think probably they fell off and he's still dead down there. But maybe they're like, oh, well, the scavengers got to his body for, you know, I mean. I True. hope you're right, because I don't want all that speculation. But yeah, like for me. It takes away the gravity and the emotional effect of last season if he's just alive, even if that's like revealed later on and there's a good explanation. Um, Agreed. I would prefer that grief to be real and to be um, constant because I like to suffer. Um, <laughs> but no, so we see those glasses, which sucks. Um, and then they go to this planet where hemlock's lab supposedly is and they see this lab that's been um destroyed by orbital bombardment like so whatever mm. happened there the empire scrapped it took all their people out and then just blew it to shit 
basically just blew it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Hunter and Wrecker go and they sit down. They're kind of wandering. And then they are held up by two young clones who are probably like in normal people age, probably between like 11 and 15, maybe 16. So then yeah. for clones, they're like five, six years old, something like that, maybe seven. Um, and I think it's clear that there's two of them at first. And then they take the boys back to meet this other guy who's clearly kind of like the leader of them. Um, he appears a little bit older than the other two. And, you know, Hunter and Wrecker are like, what happened? And they were like, yeah, don't know what wrong. But the Empire took all their scientists, left all the clones and just blew it up. And we only got out because we had decided to escape that day. And they right. said that they ended up there because they were told they were being transferred to like the front lines or something like that. And mm-hmm. then they were just brought to a lab to be experiments. Yeah. Um, which is fucking horrifying. Um, anyways. And so they kind of talk through things and Hunter, or they say that they had seen a control panel that was still intact somewhere in the ruins. Cause you know, the boys have been around. Mm-hmm. Um, I meant to go write their names down and I forgot. Um, but they say that they had seen that. And then they kind of hypothesize with Hunter and Wrecker that there could be information about where Hemlock went afterwards, where he might have taken Omega mm-hmm. somewhere on that control panel. Um, and so then Hunter and Wrecker decide to go there. Uh, and the boys are kind of like, two of them are like, you'll never survive. Like, that's so dumb. Like, you guys are never going to find your way out there. And there's also these like, um, I wish I'd written down what they were called specifically, but a type of like, sentient vine that had arose from an empire experiment that like i think they were electrical and then if you like cut off some of it it like sprouts into a second little one that like comes and chases Mm -hmm. you so a very interesting concept um Mm -hmm. and so basically they're trying to like avoid these vines and not disturb them um as best they can so they take gonky with them because they need a power source um right which as we talked about in our lost audio files is the first time a gonk droid has ever actually been crucial and yeah. helpful. Yeah. <laughs> and like gonks were already getting, I think they used a gonk once or twice in earlier bad batch episodes, but this I think was definitely the most like gonk gonk was, you know, required for this mission, not just helpful. Yes. Well, gonky's been around. Yeah. But yeah, yeah he's just been they, chilling. He usually gonks yeah. across the ship as they fly crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was so good. It was such a nice moment. And I got to say, like, I think the the horror vibes, like, it really gave that in a strong way. I am, and this is probably Paul's influence to me on a large extent, but not entirely. I am getting to the point where I'm kind of done with our heroes going to the planet where a large, perhaps scary to humans, but uh, like not being aggressive just living it's doing its own thing on its own planet mm-hmm. life form exists and because our heroes disturb it it starts fighting back and then our heroes have to kill it um mm-hmm. i i've had enough of that i can be done with that please but other than that i thought it was an incredible episode and it really did mm-hmm. the horror of it was great the sort of not really fully understanding like what this life form was and yeah. which i think in many ways god i hadn't even thought about this now why is it that they can't figure out scientifically what this life form is and how to best deal with it? Because tech isn't there. 
Like Rough. that's just another gut punch. Like I, I don't even know if that's coincidence, and I'm headcanning if that was that was intended. But it's just, you know, all these ways, like seeing just the two of them Rough. on their own felt so weird. But you realize, like, yeah. Echo is off doing his own thing with Rex and all the awesome stuff they're doing. Uh, Tech is dead, and uh, uh, Crossfire is imprisoned, and it's just these two boys left. And I really loved that, and it really. I don't like splitting the party, so I do hope we all get back together fairly soon. But I thought for these three episodes, going back and forth between these two groups really, really worked. Yeah. And I really liked it. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like it's something that was done very intentionally, and the melancholy mood of it came off very well. How the first episode, we only saw Omega and a little bit of crosshair. The second Mm -hmm. episode was only Hunter and Wrecker. They mentioned Rex and Echo, but they were never actually heard over any sort of audio. We we never saw them. And then the next episode, we go back and it's just Crosshair and Omega again. And it's just this void and divide that like feels so unnatural and foreign within a squad. And like mm-hmm. being that through the first two seasons, like this has been, you know, the squad that is a family, the squad that sticks together. And now they are so far apart that they can't even get in contact with each other. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really true. Like it was such a perfect mood to like put us in coming out of season two. Cause like if they had been like, okay, like here's the drama and the start of it, but like, it's still kind of like happy fun. I'd be like, Mm -hmm. now when I'm watching them back to back, it's going to be whiplash going from season two to this, but it just like, it works. It's eerie. Like the, yeah. these episode sets are very eerie and it works very well. And especially with the appearance of the emperor um, at the, or in the third episode, just really mm-hmm. like sets the mood of like, what's going on here? Like how this season yeah. is going to go. Um, I mean, we'll probably get some like, what do you call them? Standalone episodes. What are they called? Filler episodes. We might get a few well, filler episodes, but I, 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 that's where I was going to push back. I think that some standalone episodes are filler episodes, but that there's an attitude by many people that all standalone episodes are by definition filler episodes, which I think is very oh, yeah. not the case. No, I don't. I don't mean filler episode like that. I just mean like separate little adventures where like maybe something yeah. important happens emotionally, but like no progress is gained towards the bigger goal. But thank you for yeah. the clarification because it is thought yeah. of in a bunch of different ways. Side quests is a great way to see it. Where, and often it is the term I was trying to think of. It the it does progress the main plot, but in a they go to someone who they've been told can give them the next piece of the puzzle. But that person says, "Okay, but you've got to go do this quest. You got to go pick this berry off this tree for mm-hmm. me." So they spend the whole episode on the side quest finish the side quest and then the person at the end says great well now i can tell you you got to go talk to this person and then that person does a thing and yeah and yeah i think i think those are looked down upon a lot and i think sometimes like particularly in the days of network television you know 23 episodes every season mm-hmm. there definitely were some episodes that just felt like this show would have been just as good one episode lighter but they had to fill this many yeah. episodes for the season but standalones are not that. And, and most, I think, of the Bad Batch standalones were not that. Another thing I wanted to touch on, and you kind of uh, hinted at it, but I wanted to go deeper on this. 
I am, as many people know, really fascinated by villains and by villain motivations. And you were talking about the sort of scientist aspect of these characters who it's not that they're sadistic and they want to hurt people. It's that, or they have these like malicious, like I want to take over the world goals. Mm -hmm. It's that they are utterly fascinated by the science and utterly untroubled by the consequences either of those they experiment on or what other people use this science on. And to me, it's the difference between being amoral and being immoral. Where immoral is like, you know, having bad morals, like wanting, you know, working in the service of greed or your own your own advancement or revenge or things like that, which, by the way, all of which can actually be more moral than we think, but I'm painting in broad strokes. But amoral is really when you just don't have moral compunction as part of it. And the character of Entrapta from uh, Shira is one of my absolute favorite examples of this. I think a lot of uh, great villains are more like this. And I think it's really interesting the way they've given us those characters in this. You know, I think the Kaminoans have always had some aspect of that. Although, as we see, at least one of them is developing some real compassion for Omega. But, for example, Hemlock, there's a scene where um, the pilots of a shuttle crash in an area that is known to be very dangerous in terms of like wild animals that live there. And by the time they radio in, we can already hear that the monsters are attacking them and that they're in, in grave danger. And Hemlock is asked, should I send out a patrol to get them? And Hemlock says, if they crashed outside the barrier, it's already too late for them. Mm-hmm. And he literally turns off the speaker so they don't have to hear them screaming. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of characters, I think especially like Palpatine or early versions of Vader, that might have been, oh, those stupid fools, they crashed their ship. They deserve to be torn apart. You know, mwahaha, yeah. enjoy their suffering. Like maliciously. Yeah, it, maliciousness. Yeah, exactly. I don't think Hemlock, you know, wanted those two to die. I think he probably thinks it is unfortunate that they died, not out of compassion for them, but just those are two trained pilots. Those are valuable Imperial resources. But I think he's also just hyper-realistic of they are probably dead already. Any attempt to rescue them would put more of my soldiers' lives at stake. And I'm not interested in protecting individual soldiers. And I don't want to get into a which is worse because I think like some of the scientists are kind of in a morally gray place. Hemlock is straight up evil. But mm-hmm. it's the evil of amorality, of utterly mm-hmm. not caring about the consequences instead of wanting that. Yeah. It's like... um the amoral versus the immoral is kind of the difference between, if you remember from the Clone Wars, Dr. Nouveau Vindi, who created the blue mm. shadow virus. Yeah. Like his goal was to kill people. He wanted to watch the universe or the galaxy just explode in um, disease. Like that right. was exciting and fun to him. But like you're saying, Hemlock, like he doesn't necessarily want to cause pain, but he is willing to do anything to reach right. the scientific goals he has. And he's a very cost-effective person, and he really cuts his losses. And like you said, he's not going to go expend more resources to probably not even help these two people who just kind of fucked up on their way down, you know? Right. And it's not malicious. It's just um, calculated. And he probably yeah. never thought about it again. Yeah. He's not bothered. He's He is not going to have bad dreams at night about the people who Correct. had to die. 
Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I just think that's some great storytelling from them. Yeah. And I did write down um, the actor who plays Hemlock is Jimmy Simpson. Okay. Um, I mean, a comedian, but also I've seen him in a couple of just like really spooky, scary roles. And nice. it's just one of those voices that I recognize. And I was like, where have I heard that? And it just like it all came together. Like he just does such a great job with the just cold, calculated, like, um, what would mm-hmm. you call it? Almost like a detached evil. Yeah. And and I think the result of it winds up being quite terrifying and quite chilling, I think is the right word. Because if someone wants to kill me out of hate and out of this like strong emotion, I feel there's a chance I can ap- I can appeal to their emotions. I can make an emotional appeal of like, wait a minute, like you should have compassion for me, or like mm-hmm. I can wash your car really good, or, you know, whatever it is. Like I yeah. I can appeal to that emotional thing. But if you have just calmly and logically decided that I'm a resource that is better dispo- disposed of, there's no compassion there. There's there's yeah. no there's no like vindictiveness. It's not a hate of me that I need to. Yeah. Con- I, I there is no anger for me to calm down. And so I think in that way, like it it the person who hates you and wants to do anything they can to kill you is terrifying too. This is just terrifying in a very very different way, but a very yeah. Because it's not the norm, I think it's all the more effective. Yes, absolutely. Like, it's, it comes down to, like, yeah, like you said, you can play for people's emotions, but you can't convince someone of your usefulness when they've already decided right. you're worthless. Right. Like, and, and that applies that, in real life. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, very much so. I mean, just look at the responses when, you know, innocent people are killed, especially through like racism or uh, as we saw most recently, most tragically, um, transphobia uh, with necks getting beaten up and and losing their life, uh, being killed and, uh, you know, by transphobia and just all these kind of things like racism, whatever. Yeah, it's hard when someone doesn't see you as human and as worthy as human compassion, it's hard to then appeal to their emotions. And yeah, yeah, it's always making a great point. For sure. And just the last thing for me on that is, where was it? What was the thought I had? Uh, callousness. The, oh, just one last thing on that. I think part of why that scene with the two fallen pilots was so powerful is often we see a version of that screen told for a very different reason, that scene. Because often we see that scene as a way of, our hero has to make the hard choice and you know that the hero hates it, but you know, the hero has to do this because if they try to save the two people, then 200 might die or 2000 or 2 million. And so we see the pain on the hero's face and we see how hard it is for them. And we see them being haunted by the voices of those who died later. And this is the exact opposite. Hemlock doesn't have a thought in the world as he Mm -hmm. shuts off that speaker. And that just makes it like, it's just such a great villain moment. Yeah. Yeah, they've done a great job of creating this villain from like the mystery surrounding him last season. And it was like just whispers. And now it's just Mm -hmm. like this concentrated two episodes that delves into exactly how he works without actually telling us much at the same time. Um, For sure. Definitely. That was well done. Well, there's so much more we could cover. Oh, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, do you have any thoughts on Emery? Um, 
Emery is the other clone who... Yes, that's yeah. the female clone with the brown hair and the weird goggles. Glasses. I really am enjoying her story and I want to see more mm -hmm. of it. And I think they're exploring a very interesting dynamic, which is, you know, a thing that happens under oppression a lot of the, the person who is well-treated and thus winds up having more loyalty towards the, the people who are oppressing them because they think, well, I'm not being as oppressed as everyone else mm -hmm. versus the person who's like, no, this is all wrong. And, you know, it breaks my heart. Obviously, I want her to help uh, Omega, but I also understand why she didn't. I think she thinks, like, I have it good, you know? And I think um, there are a number of other struggles that have happened for freedom in our own country and around the world. I think civil rights and anti-slavery is, is one of the best examples where there were terms that were given to those who are more, like, on the side of the masters, even though they were still slaves or oppressed or whatever it is. Uh, they're not terms I'm, I'm going to use here, but I I, folks can probably guess what I'm talking about, where, you know, it's that tension. And I think it is very easy to just say, oh, well, you have it good, so you're selling me out. And I think we're supposed to be pretty mad at her for selling out Omega. But I also, I, I think we're going to get some more from her perspective that kind of mm -hmm. shows us, like, she is just as caught in this. And she is probably on some level like a it may be that she's just as like science focused and so she doesn't kind of notice like she's a slave because she gets to be in the laboratory um or it might be that she some part of her is just as aware that she could be easily killed at a moment's notice but she's trying to ignore that because they're being so nice to her what about you yeah. what's your take yeah um i mean i'm interested to see where they go with her story and I thought as, as you were talking about your thoughts is um, she gives us a really good POV to view Hemlock's lab from here on out. Now that Omega and Crosshair mm. are gone, it gives us a character to central or center around because you can't really center around the villain too much. Nala yeah. say is honestly not that interesting and deep. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, she contains multitudes, but she doesn't seem like the right choice for a kind of central character either. So yeah. I think that will be really interesting. That being said, right now, currently, I have no good or positive thoughts or comments about Emery. I don't like her. <laughs> and I that's just fair. me being a salty bitch because she did Omega Dirty twice. Yeah. And I just, I don't like it. I and think I it's totally fair. And I think, I think the story could be told in a way where Emery never changes sides and gets a very satisfying death or defeat mm -hmm. when when we take her out. I think, for the most part, the Bad Batch has not been anywhere near as predictable as a lot of shows are. Sometimes it is, you know, there mm -hmm. are definitely some tropes it has. And it does feel to me like I will be somewhat amazed if Emery doesn't wind up helping Omega in the end. Like, she doesn't make a hero turn where she turns on Hemlock and maybe she's the one mm -hmm. to kill Hemlock or she just sacrifices herself to help Omega escape against Hemlock wishes. You know, I I, I kind of feel like we're being set up for that, which is why I'm sort of having, maybe I'm having like sympathy in advance for her. Um, mm -hmm. But I think you're right. They're doing a good job of being like, yeah, from Omega's... Well, here's the thing. It's also that Omega is so much the moral heart of this show. Yeah. And Omega she's so nice to it. Emery. Yeah, Omega... And I think that also makes it harder for me to like, I kind of want to shake Omega and be like, girl, this person's not helping you stop trying to save all these lost wounded puppies. And by the mm -hmm. way, when you start dating, 
you can't fix them. Like, cause if Omega, if, if anyone's going to grow up to try and fix them, it's Omega. Um, <laughs> and I say this, like, forget the gender part. I say this, I was, a, I can fix them for a long, long time. Um, yep. the first time I was in an emotionally healthy relationship, I told my, my best friend at the time that I was kind of bored. And he said, that's because you're used to drama. Um, which was a very telling statement, but yeah. anyway, back, back to this. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know what to feel and think, which is why I think the writing is so good because I feel like part of me thinks Omega's going too far and the Omega should be just like, no, you're terrible. I hate you. Part of me thinks that the fact that Omega still cares for her means that I should still care for her. Part of me thinks the writers are going to do, do something good with it. And I just don't know what. Yeah. I'm sure it'll do something great. You know, like it's a Filoni production. It'll be amazing. Yeah. I'm sure I'll have more thoughts about her character a few more episodes in, but right now I'm still mad about last season and I'm just mad. <laughs> That's fair. That's um, fair. One thing I do want to talk about quick um, that I loved so much is Plan 72. Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. And I found a um, clipping of the screenshots from that scene where Crosshair asks Omega, did they teach you Plan 72? And she goes, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Tech had me memorize all of the plans. And Crosshair goes, of course he did. Yeah. And it's just like, uh, right? more pain. Like, I don't even know if Crosshair knows Tech is dead. Well, I suppose Omega would have told him. Yeah. Um, but There's part of me that wishes we had gotten to see that moment. And part of me that's really glad we didn't. Yeah. Because... It would have probably just been an emotional gut punch of the way that, you know, masochistic watchers like the two of us would still have enjoyed, but shouldn't have. <laughs> but I yeah. also would have, I, I would have been very curious to know, like, what role does Tech's death play? Like, clearly, he had his turn against the Empire completely before he knew that, which I think is good. Yeah. I wonder if some version of the script did have Omega telling him, um... And I think maybe it would have just been too dark. I don't know. But I do think that him just like her honoring tech by saying it's he who did this and and Crosshair saying, of course, he did. It, it really felt like the two of them bonding over their shared love for their for their their their, their, their brother. Absolutely. Yeah. And. Kind of, I think, with the idea of like wishing we could have seen that moment, it's kind of like we all wish we could see the moment when like. um. They Don't told... say the one I want to see. Go, you go ahead, you go ahead, but you're on, on the nice. <laughs> uh, oh, um, like seeing the moment when Ahsoka found out that Darth Vader came back to the light, which we kind of had the idea explored maybe a little bit in the Ahsoka show, but it's like, does she have that exact impression from that, or does she just think that Anakin can appear in multiple ways? We don't know. Um, but it's the idea of wanting to see something like that, but it's a much more interesting plot device if you don't just put it out there. Because now we get the amazing, uncomfortable conflict of when they do meet up with the rest of the batch, mm -hmm. nobody knows how Crosshair responds to Tech's death. Nobody knows what he thinks about it, how he feels about it. And if, you know, they meet up and Omega's like, oh, like, we were both so heartbroken about this, blah, blah, blah. Like, they kind of maybe will trust him a little sooner. But it's like the idea of you are so foreign to us. We don't trust you. We don't like you. You've been hunting us. You suck. And also, like, we don't know if you've had an emotional reaction to Tech's death. Therefore, completely fuck you. And I think yeah. 
it'll give us more interesting conversations around text death rather than just giving us a huge emotional thing yeah. right at the start as painfully great as that would have been. I like yeah. how they have skirted around it in a way that we can keep exploring it throughout the season. So I'll say, I think you have me somewhat convinced on this one. I, I think if the idea is that we don't know, then it is important to me that Omega doesn't tell him that some, some prison guard came and been like, well, we clipped one of your brothers last night, you know, or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I'll say though, in response to your example, I don't think we need to see everything on screen. And sometimes there's stuff that I want to see on screen that I don't. Mm -hmm. If star Wars comes to an end and eventually Filoni passes away and I have not seen Ahsoka and Luke responding to, you know, Ahsoka and Luke getting to talk about their father, uh, about mm -hmm. his father and Leia involved in well somehow and Ahsoka learning that he came back and Luke getting to hear about what his father was like before mm -hmm. and what his mother was like and both of them hearing that. I will either buy every paper in the Filoni estate and like search for like the napkin where he wrote the idea on, or I will just learn necromancy and dig up Filoni's grave <laughs> and summon his spirit and be like, you are going, I am not going to let your soul rest until you tell me what happened. Um, Spill so the that, beans, David. <laughs> no, tell me, tell uh, Dave, tell me what it is, Dave. Um, so yes. Um, but That's now that I put aside my maniacal bit of fandom aside, uh, this has been a great conversation. We've gone on for about an hour. I don't want to make these too long. I'm sure you got a long list of things, but is there any one, one or two last things you want to bring up? Um, two tiny things. Um, back to plan 72. I just loved the way it worked together. Like, yeah, they have never Omega and Crosshair have never been on the same team. They have never worked together yeah. in even the slightest way. And even until the very moment that she comes to him and is like, we're going to leave now. He doesn't want to be involved. He doesn't want to work together. Yeah. Um, and then it's like. They're in this life or death, you know, do you know this plan? Yes, I do. And it goes perfectly. She mm -hmm. hops up in that ship. She gets the pilot out of there. Or knocks the pilot out, um, stuns the pilot, I believe. And, you know, mentions to motions to crosshair, and then she comes down in this elevator lift, the doors open, he's like laying cover fire, and then he steps backwards, she gets on her knees and lays cover fire for him. And just the visual perfection of that plan in motion mm -hmm. that they, they have never worked together, but the fact the idea that this core squad, this core family that they both started from or come from is so strong that you don't need to have that actual reliance on each yeah. other. You just need to know the plan. And I really loved that. Cause I think that also kind of ties back to the themes of the first two seasons is mm, like, yeah. this is a family. We are close. And I think that something like that will bring them closer together despite right. what happened obviously with crosshair. Um, so yeah, I just, there yeah. was a lot about that scene that I really, really loved. No, I cheered up during that scene for the same reason. And like, it's a kick-ass, you know, fight scene. But one of the things that made the first season so powerful is that when they start out, Omega sees them as brothers. They see her as a kid who they need to take care of. Mm -hmm. And the first time they come across, like, none of them are parents. They're like, you know, soldiers yeah. of fortune. They're the A-team. The A-team doesn't have a, you know, 10-year-old girl that they adopt. 
And the first time they find someone who they know is a good parent, they're like, you should take this kid instead. But by the end of that season, they see her as their sister, you know, just mm-hmm. as much a part of their family as anybody else. So, yeah. Yeah. So that was one. What's, what's the other tiny thing? Oh, no. Just like when she's escaping. Um, I don't remember. There was one door that she opened and she was like waiting for it to shut behind her and a little mouse droid came and she just like curb stomped that bitch. She was just like, oh, Boom. my God. I felt so bad. (laughs) Would you write? Ha ha, fuck that mouse droid. Ah, my heart broke. I was like, that's poor little. Like, I know they're all snitches, but like, it just wants to. They're snitches. (laughs) It just, it was just made that way. You know, it's just, it's doing its best. I just thought it was funny. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, keep going. I just thought it was funny that Omega, who has so much love and compassion and caring for the whole world in this Mm -hmm. dire moment of action was like, fuck this mouse droid yeah she's like i cannot be found out i don't care if i hurt your feelings get out and i just thought that was really funny it's like oh omega is in go mode she's ready to go (laughs) it was awesome it was awesome well thank you so much uh aaron as all as always fans we're gonna be back we're gonna be doing every episode of star wars generation we're gonna be doing every episode of star wars the bad batch going forward this was three and one, so there's no bonus content, but we will be continuing our bonus content starting next week, where we're going to continue to go over stories from the Star Wars from a certain point of view. Right now, we're doing A New Hope. Uh, and you can get in that bonus content. We're also doing bonus episodes. Uh, we have a book club that's releasing a new book every month. This month, we released a book that rumor says might be relevant to this particular storyline. Uh, so check that out if you're interested. Uh, we're actually going to have a snippet of that at the end of this as a like, hey, if you want to join the book club, this is the kind of things you get. And all that comes for only $5 a month or $55 a year. You get bonus content at the end of our episode or well, the end of most episodes. You get uh, extra content and also you get ad-free content. So if you're sick of hearing the ads, that's not a great way to do it. Um, Meanwhile, though, Erin is not only a fantastic podcast host, but a wonderful creator in her own world. So if I was to just as a crazy collection of words, Google the words Lady Tano creates, what would I find? Um, You'd find a lot of Ahsoka cosplay stuff. You'd find some lightsaber content. You would find an original Twi'lek character as well as an original zombie Twi'lek character. And you'd mm-hmm. find updates on my upcoming projects, which are, which are Poison Ivy 52, Mystique, the classic comic book version, and then Shin Hati from the Ahsoka show. That being said, disclaimer, these past few months have been hard for me school work-wise so i haven't Mm -hmm. been as active but when i get back to it i will continue posting um and you can always contact me on those about things you want to talk about in these episodes or questions you have about the podcast you can always hit me up on lady tunnel creates or we're at um sw generations podcast i believe on instagram Mm mm-hmm yeah, all in it, you can uh, also just, if you search for Star Wars Generations or if you search for The Ethical Panda, you'll find all the ways to find us. They're also all in the show notes and all on the uh, little graphics card that I will show at the end of this episode. Uh, we're going to get better at having like graphics cards and having all the information on here. We're still just learning how this goes. But uh, please do check out the live feed. Please check out, we're going to be putting posts, uh, little TikToks and videos and stuff like that up. Check out all the awesome things that Aaron is doing. Check out all the great things Alex is doing. Most of all, thank you so much for being fans. Yip, yip. Emotion and sentiment have no place within these walls. Stay classy, Coruscant. (laughs) Hit! <laughs>